y'all. You've tuned into the Pop Politics Podcast with me, Monique Alicia Gamble. I'm a professor, a screenwriter, and a photographer. And this show is a fusion of two things that I love to talk about, politics and pop culture. So let's get to it. I am curious. I saw the money I left still in the nightstand. Why didn't you use any of it? Didn't have to. I enjoyed my entire day using the only currency that I needed. Whiteness. I don't know what is more difficult. Being colored or being a woman. Most days I'm happy to be both, but the world keeps interrupting. And I am sick of being interrupted. So I mentioned in the show trailer that I really enjoyed Misha Green's HBO hit series, Lovecraft Country. I actually said I was obsessed with it, which is a little more than really enjoyed, but you get the picture. I'll take any opportunity to discuss characters and storylines and any interesting nuggets that I might have missed. That last part is somewhat unlikely, considering that I watched probably every episode, except for the last one, at least three times. Um, yeah. So anyway, many of the episodes from this first season had audio clips and themes and visuals that were just ripe for post-show discussion. I've been teaching a Black feminism course at UDC for the last couple of semesters, and it turns out that Lovecraft Country really fits perfectly within the scope of that class. This episode is the first of two Lovecraft roundtables that follow our class readings of chapters on controlling images and the power of self-definition from Patricia Hill Collins' seminal text, Black Feminist Thought. I chose episode five titled A Strange Case to start through Ruby's and Montrose's air quotes, transformative air quotes experiences. This episode explored themes of race, gender, and sexuality in some very provocative ways. I started the class by reintroducing main characters. After that, I opened the floor for general comments and finished up with a few questions of my own. Be forewarned, spoilers abound in this episode. If you haven't seen all of episode five or all of season one, first of all, shame on you. And also, enter at your own risk. If, however, spoilers don't bother you, then welcome to our little roundtable discussion. Let me run down characters real quick. You know who Ruby is. Ruby is the Black woman who turns into Hillary with the use of the potion. Her sister is Letty. Letty is the one who breaks up the fight and she's in the relationship with Atticus. Atticus's father is Montrose. That's the dude who's as he beat. Um, and the person who has that relationship with Sammy. Sammy is the guy who appears in drag and Sammy is the guy who Montrose is in a relationship with. Christina is the younger white woman um, who William turned into at the end of this episode. Tamara is the black woman who works at uh, Marshall Fields. Who else is there in this one? Oh, and the boss who got, you know, handled by Ruby towards the end, Mr. Hughes. Thank you, Mariel. Okay, so I think we got the, the cast of characters down. Mariel, I saw your hand up earlier. Go for it. Yeah, I just wanted to give my like overall feedback what I thought about the episode. Um, okay. So first, when I think about um, that chapter that we read about the controlling images, when I read about 
those images, it's like I can subconsciously just kind of like attach these images to certain black women. And um, I mean, I don't know if it's like society that does that. But when I see Ruby, you know, or I just see her character in the show, um, she reminds me of like the matriarch or the angry black woman in a way. And um, what I think is interesting in this episode is that it kind of gives you a glimpse into understanding the background of that anger. Um, mm-hmm. When you see mm-hmm. her transformation into the white woman and you see like her experiences through that, um, you kind of understand why she's angry. For instance, and in, in even into the defining, defining your individuality, I forgot the name of the chapter. Um, but when we talked about Black women creating their own identity, which spends the day as the white woman, you kind of see that understanding that Black women have, um, where we have this dual consciousness in society, where we understand that we have to play this role or take on that dominant culture to be successful in society. Mm-hmm. Like when she left the money, she purposely left the money on the dresser and said, well, the only currency I needed was whiteness. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. understands that, I guess, that privilege that white women have in society. I wanted to talk about the anger part. Like, far as, like, um, when she's Hillary, <clears throat> like, when she interviews for the job and the store manager is looking at her, her resume, and he's just like, wow, you can take my job. And then he mm-hmm. offers her assistant manager, but she didn't even get the job before. And then when she mm-hmm. learns that the Black girl, Tamara, has no qualifications and she's angry because it's like like you said we only get one of us and it wasn't me and I'm qualified and I didn't get it but it's like she can't do anything and then when she um she's having a conversation with the her white co-workers and she she says you know how the girl Tamara is um not qualified and then the white woman says well of course she's not she's negro and it's mm-hmm. like you see that she again has to hold back her anger she has to hold back who she is because she can't say anything she can't mm-hmm. you know she's upset already that she didn't get the job and then this gets thrown in her face and then I just think that is I just want to say one more thing I think it's interesting when she um, gets frustrated with Tamara on the floor and she kind of like goes off and she's saying you have to be better than whites to to be a credit for your race and it's just interesting to me that um, that, that that's just a thing that I see in the black community that whether it's good or bad, we are not given that freedom of individuality to be ourselves. Whatever it is that we do, we are representations of our race as a whole. Oof, yes. Yes, it's such a, that scene is such a great one. Also because she's saying, it's not good enough for you to be just good enough, right? Because she's like, they got a whole bunch of other shit going on. She remembered, she comes to that scene or she comes to that moment after having been as Ruby, locked up in this closet with a man who is being tortured to death. And like the, the the sheriff is the person who is keeping this man locked up in here. And nobody knows that. So here y'all are talking about us, you know, not being qualified or not being good enough or whatever. Meanwhile, the, a, a person who holds this very high, very powerful, very important position has a man who's essentially dying in his closet. And nobody knows that that part is it's deeply frustrating for her uh i don't think we've done the uses of anger yet but it's coming up so this will be another opportunity for you to refer back to seeing what that looks like 
yes, that you have that that angry black woman trope. But just like I, I mentioned before, Solange in the Seat at the Table album has a song called Mad on it, which I love. And she basically, the chorus is, I have a right to be mad, I have a reason to be angry. And so using that trope as sort of a cudgel against black women is unfair and also unnecessary. You have reasons to be angry. And so then to take that and use that anger against someone to suggest that they're not worthy of whatever it is, this is the way that that sexism, this is the way that that racism and white supremacy work. You know, they are completely made up ideas that have been used for centuries to undermine the progress of people who are targets of them. This is part of the reason I love this show, because you get to see that, you know. It's part of the reason that I love uh, pop culture or television and film and music as um, examples of what these things look like, because you get to see it and you got to get to hear it and it just hits you in a different way. What else? Any other uh, general ideas from this episode? Okay, I'll go to Will and then Copian. Hi, uh, I've got a question first. When the characters take the portion, is that kind of gross skin peeling process, does that happen when they take it initially or only when they turn back to their original form? It seems like it's when they turn back. You see what happens to um, to Ruby as the, the potion is starting to wear off. It's, it's my assumption. They take it, you know, they take it. But then once it starts to wear off, that's when we get that kind of shedding or that metamorphosis of this person into something else. Gotcha. I just, and I feel like a lot of people have touched on this already, the the kind of theme of code switching and how when Ruby becomes uh, Miss Davenport, she she gets access to that that magic that, of, of whiteness, that unmitigated freedom to, to kind of just be. And um, I really like the line she said, at the, at the beginning when she kind of comes out in, in an absolute panic for waking up white, she says that they they weren't scared of her, they were scared for her. Mm. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just, it's a really great line. It really, it really contextualizes how the police approach people and how society viewed just on face value different groups at the time. Yeah. Think about how, go back to the Kambahi River Collective and uh, Audre Lorde's um, The Master's Tools article and Sojourner Truth talking about Ain't I a Woman. Remember that Ruby is a woman too. And she knows that had she bumped, let's say she had bumped into a white boy or a white boy had bumped into her. No one would have gathered around to try to protect her in the way that these cops showed up out of nowhere to protect Hillary from a boy that she bumped into. That realization as a black woman of saying, you know, they were they were afraid for me. Having strangers come to your rescue is something that was a completely different experience for her altogether, even though she's also a woman. She wouldn't have experienced that kind of protection from police if the situation were reversed. And very, very interesting moment there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Copeland. Uh, Professor, uh, for, actually, I, I enjoyed watching this drama uh, much as it was like a, a horror movie. No, I'm not a, a fan of horror movies, but uh, <laughs> I like the way it was framed. I mean, actually, they were real, much as they are, some of them were horrifying in nature. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it was a good movie to watch like in a group. Like uh, some of my colleagues said last time that yeah, you can't watch it alone. If you watch it alone, maybe at night you can have like nightmares. Yeah, and the, the contemporary music of Cardi B, you know, uh, it put us like a. Uh, in the position of knowing what is coming on, you know, like uh, we are not uh, left in, susp- in suspense that he, uh, yeah, so we came to know what is coming in the next uh, uh, scene. And uh, uh, my only disappointment uh, was uh, when Ruby was not hired for the job, much as uh, she was prepared for and she was qualified. And uh, I was not mad about uh, the other lady who was. Uh, Hired. So I see this like uh, it's still uh, happening in, in so many uh, black communities and people are left out not because they don't know, but because they are segregated, they are uh, discriminated mm-hmm. against. Yeah, I didn't like the comment the white lady made about this uh, lady who was hired, Tamara, that you know, yeah, she's not qualified, she's a Negro. Yeah, that's my take. Yeah. <laughs> that part is, it's interesting. Um, also in the context that it's almost kind of the, the way that people think about affirmative action. You know, you're, you're trying to meet this quota and so it doesn't matter who you hire. And that's the, a part of what you what you kind of see with uh, Tamara and Ruby. You know, if, if it really was, if you were really trying to, um, in earnest, bring on someone who is who happens to be black, but also has great experience and would be great at doing this job, then you would choose Ruby. Like it's that's simple. You might even choose Ruby over some of the, the white women that she worked with, but that's not the case. You know, to your point here about segregation, just kind of taking away, not even segregation, it's really about racism, taking away the ability to be thoughtful about something, the ability to to recognize what a reality is and instead make decisions based on what yours is and, and based on what your lens is. And if your lens is covered in racism then you're not seeing the picture for what it is the very first episode like to your 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 point here there misha green uses lots of contemporary uh audio for this show in the the first episode it's not contemporary audio but they use a speech from james baldwin in the debate that he has with william f buckley in like 1968 and baldwin essentially says you know someone's asking him about reality and he says it really depends on your perception of reality the perception of reality from a, a racist lens is not what reality is it's just what you see it as and so you make decisions um, you hire, you fire, you create policy, you you know talk about uh, economics or whatever it is from that perspective of a racist or sexist lens, then you've skewed what reality actually is. And so and to some extent, it doesn't even matter that you've skewed what reality is because you've made it. You're the person who's in that position of power. And so reality essentially is whatever you say it is. And you see how it creates this these deeper layers and levels of injustice and unfairness uh, and irrationality. You know, why would you hire uh, Tamara if Ruby's right there? Because you don't care. You don't care what one of them have. If you believe that all Negroes ain't shit anyway, then you can just pick one. Who cares? But you see how how irrational that kind of a decision is. Um, I'm going to go with Denisha and then Joaquina. So touching back a little bit on the whole job thing, I think Tamara had like, mm-hmm. like, not to be mean, but better features 
like than uh Ruby. So like when the scene when he had her in the back trying to sexually assault her, like you can see how he uses his power to take advantage of black women. So when you say better features, what do you mean? Like she's more slim, and, mm. you know, stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. she's more like eye catching than Ruby is. To him. Yeah, to him. To him. Okay. You know what? One thing that I appreciate from Lovecraft is that they never do that. They actually, it's it's interesting that you read it that way and you're not the only one. There are are plenty of other folks have talked about, you know, some of the reasons that Ruby might not have been hired, but the show never hints at one of those reasons being the size of her body because that's so easily one that we can you know that that you could say, oh, it's because she's a, a bigger girl. That might have something to do with it, and it may, it may. I'm not, I'm not suggesting in any way that you're wrong here, Denisha. But I do love that the show never goes in that direction. When you're introduced to Ruby and you see her throughout uh, the rest of the episodes, she is presented as appealing as anybody else. That piece of her being undesirable because of her body size just never comes up. You know the way that we perceived desirability from sometimes a sexist standpoint you know you would expect that oh well because the the other woman is a thinner woman that is more desirable it can certainly feed into that behavior that mr hughes exhibits towards the end so i'm I'm in no way suggesting that you're wrong definitely a perspective that can come out of this for sure joaquina Okay, so I was going back to um, William and Christine. And um, from my perspective, it seemed like they were, even though they were the same person, William was offering Ruby like a freedom in a sense that when they were talking about how does it feel to be white? And she was like, it feels like I was being human as a, you know, being black when you feel feeling subhuman. Whereas Christina was telling mm-hmm. her that it wasn't an invitation for her to be white, but to actually use, you know, that whiteness, that's when she said unmitigated freedom, to do what, you know, use your whiteness to your advantage mm-hmm. as black, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Fast forward to the bloody shoes scene when, you know, like it all registered to her, like, okay, so I can do whatever I want in this white woman body. And um, she did um, pretty much. And it was just like a sense of her Ruby choosing not just to be white or this, this, you know, this white woman, but what to do in this white body or what to do with your whiteness, mm-hmm. like kind of, mm-hmm. you know, stood out to me. And again, William and Christina kind of gave her two perspectives. Like, you know, William's like, mm-hmm. well, you can use this white face to get the job. And Christina was like, you can use this whiteness for good. And she kind of advocated when she was talking to the owner and she was like, well, if this color girl can do the job, then, you know, I don't see any problem with giving her, you know, the same opportunity. So it's like, you know, she's kind of adjusting and, you know, using her whiteness to her advantage, like as a quote unquote superpower. And... Mm. As Since we're talking about like going into kind of talk about layers, I also noticed that Titus himself had peeled off a layer when he realized that that violence that his father had, you know, Atticus. he, yeah, he realized I have that in me as well. And you can see that when he beat the crap, you know, out of his dad. And it's like, 
that layer of him, you know, kind of scared him because he didn't know that he had it in him until he, you know, went to the war and then it came out again. So it's like this entire episode, everybody is like peeling back these layers. And then Christina peeled back her layer to be William. I don't know if she, you know, she's already white. So I don't know if she wanted to be a white man, but it's like she wanted and this is me, it could be a reach, but I, going back to the scene where William wanted to kiss Ruby and, well, Ruby as Hillary Davenport, and she kind of turned him away and he was like, oh, so I guess like not in public or something like that. So I'm thinking, okay, does Christina, you know, knowing that there's like a crazy little vibe between William and Ruby, did Christina like, Ruby, like, did she see herself pulling off a layer that she wanted to experience maybe being with a black woman? So, I mean, I was just looking, I guess, a little deeper just because right. that's just what I do. <laughs> so, like, I just kind of like overanalyze <laughs> a lot of things. And then the last point was Frank Ocean's song. So, mm-hmm. I was thinking with Montrose, like, he was obviously being you know black and perceived to be masculine he had like a you know a conviction about being in love with sammy was it sammy Mm -hmm. the words that frank that was in frank ocean's song was like a metaphor for what was going on in montrose's mind so it's like everybody was just peeling off all these different layers it was done cohesively because it didn't like jump from this place to that place but it kind of like you know all the puzzles kind of pretty much fit so it's just like that was just an episode of pure layer peeling like everybody you know just came out of the original shell and the glory part that i got over was that change can actually be painful and it can be scary so you know looking at the the grotesque part of it it looked like it hurt even though you know i know it's fiction or whatever but that's just like the rationale behind it is that it's you know change can be ugly and it absolutely can hurt this episode I would not have watched by myself, <laughs> but it was like <laughs> awesome. So it's just like, it might make me want to watch the whole season, but I don't know. Please do watch the whole thing. I'm looking at um, Mariel's comment in here. Girl, you got to watch the show. It is accurate. AF. <laughs> let me get to a couple questions that I have for y'all. Okay. So let me see. I got about 20 minutes to try to get through some of these. Remember at the, the very beginning, William says, I left you some money. He gives her the potion and he essentially gives Ruby the choice. She now has a choice about whether or not she takes that potion again and lives her day as a white woman or if she's like, forget all of that, let me go back to what I know. She takes that potion knowing what it does, knowing what the experience of coming out of it was. She takes that potion to live this day as a white woman. You see how Ruby as Hillary lives her life for that day. She goes and she gets the ice cream and the dude gives her the ice cream without even having to pay. Remember, she says she didn't need the money. She used the only, uh, she had the only currency she needed, which was whiteness. And she goes into the park and she just sits on the bench. She's just reading a newspaper. And the poem that is performed over that moment, it's Intasaki uh, Shange's For Colored Girls Who've Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough. This poem is a, a gorgeous, gorgeous poem. 
there are parts of it, like uh, the very beginning of it, sing a song for a black girl. Why you gotta sing a song for a black girl? Because a part of this is that there's, black girls are invisible. Black women are invisible. Their needs are invisible. You know how we've talked about the strong black woman trope? There's a part of this poem too near the end where she says, you know, let a black girl know that she can be treated gently, that she can be treated warmly. They remix the end of that poem just as Hillary is sitting on that bench reading the newspaper, see the little butterflies and stuff, and the poem says, uh, for colored girls who've considered suicide but are moving to the end of their own rainbows. What does that mean to you? In terms of, of this controlling images, in terms of constructing your own identity, what does that mean for you to be sitting there looking at Ruby, who you know just took this potion to be white, and then over the top of that you hear this is for colored girls who considered suicide, but decided to chase their own rainbows. Think about that and answer this question for me. Would you take the potion? Knowing what it potentially means, knowing what currency it potentially gives you, knowing what, to Christina's point, what freedoms it potentially opens for you, would you take that potion? No, I wouldn't. I think that being black it just it gives me such a richer experience of life like I think that especially African Americans we've been through so much and people of color all over the world have been through so much I think that these experiences I don't know it, it gives it gives life more meaning and I feel like my life has more meaning honestly okay even if it's pain I, f I feel like it gives me something to live for. You know, I have a real passion and desire to make change because this is my reality. So. Got it. Let me go to Maddie. Would you take the potion? Um, I actually think I would. So I am mixed, uh, but I'm very much white passing. I could turn on my camera, but my hair is a mess. But like, I'm pale as all hell. I have some features that show that I'm mixed, but a lot of times people can't even tell what I can't even figure out if it's black or Asian or whatever. I would take it just because, not because I would be black or look black because I am black even if I look white, but because it would be nice if I like went to go visit my dad's family or something because they live in the deep south to not get stared at and not get treated like I'm some outsider or I'm some little girl who's like being kidnapped and forced to hang out with his black family like it would just alleviate so many things and so many that my family may face if I was able to take that potion when I'm with them yeah, freedom of being able to see my family and not worry about how they're being perceived and if I'm gonna be get, if people are gonna watch, make sure they're not kidnapping me. It would change, it would give me so much more freedom to be with them and love them. Gotcha, okay. Uh, Joaquina. I would take the potion if I can go back to being black. Like I can, you know okay. what I mean? If I can mm -hmm. turn it on and mm -hmm. off, yes. And the reason why I would take it it's so for one so I can beat the shit out of some people while I'm white and get away with it and two I would probably like hire I would use my whiteness as a superpower 
Like, mm-hmm. I would just undo as much as, you know, hurt and heartache and pain that has been done, like, in my capacity. So, yeah, I would take it to, like, give people jobs, approve some homes, some loans. Of course, I would, but I would not want to stay in that whiteness. Gotcha. Okay. Will, if you were a Black woman, would you take it? It's a tough question. Um, I, I, I struggle to draw on that. I think being yourself is is paramount. But then again, if you're white, you can't just be yourself. You know that that's the that's the unmitigated freedom of whiteness that uh, Christina slash William talks about. Mm-hmm. So I think there is there's absolutely like Wakina said, it's like a superpower in this world we live in. It, it's, it's mm. and so I, I I think if it was an option. I think it would be wrong to judge people for taking that option given the state of the world. Um, but would you take it is the question. I think uh, in America, America specifically, yeah, probably. I think um, okay. this country is not friendly towards African-American women in the slightest. Mm-hmm. But that's just a matter of necessity given the state of culture. Fair. To be fair, y'all didn't have to explain. I appreciate it, but you didn't have to. <laughs> Copleon, Denisha, Leslie, y'all gotta be brief. Would you take it? Copleon. Uh yeah, yeah, sure. Professor like Kiwakina said, yeah, I could take it and use my uh, uh whiteness to uh, hire, fire, and, and then yeah, too. All right. Denisha. Uh, I would only because of the time period, because there was a lot going on, and honestly, the potion would help with like everybody else and like more advantages and, and opportunities. So yeah. Yep. Okay. Leslie, did you take the potion? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. No. 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 I would. No, you would not take the potion. No, ma'am. No. No, I don't want it. Okay. 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 Fair, 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 fair. Okay, <laughs> let me give you my last question. The last thing I want you to think about when we kind of makes her official metamorphosis. Joaquina mentioned it. It's at the the moment where she she takes her aggression out on Mr. Hughes with that stiletto heel. But I would argue that it happens earlier than that. Think back to the moment where she is in that in Sammy's with all those white women she works with and um, and and Tamara, and she goes out as Hillary. She goes back outside and she looks at that uh, jar of potion and she crushes it. For as gory as this scene is, as gory as all of these images of her sort of shedding uh, Hillary have been. This one was almost, it's almost like the the butterfly emerging out of that cocoon because she essentially, she sheds Hillary and starts to recognize she is going to be Ruby, but she's going to use Hillary the way that some of y'all mentioned that you would. Recognizing the, the that currency and that power of whiteness, not just as uh, William mentioned it to her in the beginning, you know, you can go and get your dream job, but to some degree, the way that Christina mentioned it to her, this gives you that unmitigated freedom to do whatever you want to do. And so the moment that she sees Mr. Hughes pushing up on Tamara and ass- sexually assaulting her and then calling her what he called her at the end, her mission is clear. 
at that point. Her mission is to use Hillary to exact her revenge as a black woman. Talk about layers, right? Think also about Montrose and the kind of the metamorphosis that he makes with that bad religion song. When you see him and he has sex with um, with Sammy and it's it's rough, it's hurt, it's trauma, it's all of that. Until he gets to the end, when he gets to that ball scene, think about the way that he sheds that skin and is able to sort of see himself differently and able to celebrate in that moment with Sammy. Uh, if you think back to the conversation that they're having when they're all kind of in the dressing room and... Um, He's asked, you know, have you and your man even smacked lips yet? Because they know that the two of them have been having this, you know, this sexual relationship, but there's no intimacy in it. But Machos kind of can't have that intimacy because he doesn't know how, right? He's a, a, a man who has seen his sexuality as a problem all his life. And he knows that if he's out, that creates a whole other layer of problems. But by the end of that episode, he lets all of that go and decides to go and show intimacy in public to this person that he does have some feeling for and that he does care about. And you can see how this is written, at least, as a, a moment of liberation for Montrose. How often have you seen something like that for a character like this set in this time period? So the last thing, the question, I just want to talk about that. Um, remember when Ruby is saying, I struggle with what is more difficult, being a woman or being colored? And she says, most of the time I'm happy to be both, but I keep getting interrupted. And I'm tired of being interrupted. Who are you uninterrupted is my question. I can honestly say that that's a hard question. I, I want to say like I'm angry and I'm prideful at the same time. I don't wear a face, but I have to tone down even my facial expressions, you know, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. just being mm -hmm. black, I'm already, you know, my, my job just calls me reserved, which is a nice way of saying antisocial. You know, they're always like, what well, is so reserved? And, you know, she doesn't really say much to anybody yet because I don't want to. But, you know, like that <laughs> reservation, you know, it's like that's my prote it's protecting me and it's protecting them. You know, so it's like mm, mm. I, I, I can't be my angry self. I can't be my black pride self because, you know, both are too much at the same time. So mm -hmm. that's, you know. That's who I want to be uninterrupted. Like, I want to be angry sometimes. And I want you to know I'm black as F, you know, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's that's me. I love it. You want to be your full self. All of it. Absolute full black self. My full black All self. All the time. Got it. <laughs> I hate having to put on a show. I hate doing. Uh, I'm aggressive. I have an attitude. I like being that way. My family does not. Uh, I'm always called out if I say something with a little bit of an attitude or if it's a little too aggressive, I'm always told to stop. But that's how I am. I love people. I'm happy to care for people and be sweet and kind. But I like being aggressive. I don't like being just cast into that submissive role. But I hate having to put on that show of being nice and sweet and caring when I'm not in the mood to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm loud. I'm here. I'm in your face. I can be nice when I want and I can be sweet and caring when I want. But don't make me hide being aggressive and out there and saying my piece. So no homework, except thinking, that's it. Who you are uninterrupted is what I want you to kind of spend some time with 
uh, over the next week. Is that cool? I may probe you when we come back and just ask you what it was like for you, but enjoy your break. I'm not putting anything on you. Do not ask me for nothing over this. <laughs> I'm killing too. <laughs> uh, but no, y'all have a good time. Um, and I will see you when we get back um, after the break. So that was a lot of fun for me. Um, my black feminism class is one of my favorites. Uh, at this point, it's actually my favorite. It's the class that allows me to explore many of the themes that I'm super interested in and just love to have conversations about. And because so many really great artists are making wonderful work to have discussions around, then it's just a perfect time to combine scholarly work and um, academic work with pop culture work which is exactly what this podcast is here for. So listen, thanks for stopping by the Pop Politics Podcast. I really appreciate y'all tuning in. Remember that new episodes will drop on the first of every month with many episodes in between. Part two of my Lovecraft Roundtable is also coming up very soon. In the meantime, y'all be good to yourselves. I'll see you next time.